I'd like to try, at least initially, I imagine there'll be plenty of questions, but I, I, the, the, the qualifiers that I gave at the beginning that I, I don't really want to get political with this, uh, at the very least is where I want to begin things. Um, settling the issue, is there any biblical uncertainty? And if we all agree, okay, the biblical case is clear, then I suppose we can move on to other topics. Um, but let's start with not going political with this and see how we do there. Okay, that said, any um, questions? First, just affirmation. That, that's a hard thing to, uh, it's a hard thing to handle well. So thank you for training us to look at the scriptures for all the principles there. That's really good. Um, question would be, um, practically for, it seems like there's so many invisible things that you have to fight against in unlearning about contractual relationships and consent. And then you have to go back to the Bible to think through like, well, what are legitimate how does authority legitimately obligate me as a creature? Um, what are some guidelines for training up kids practically to get frameworks of a, uh, that, that would be more in line with how the scripture thinks about authority? Huh. I, I, think, I think it's helpful to um, try to help children, all people, but children in particular, always see the vertical lines. Because you know, at the end of the day, they don't obey mommy and daddy because mommy and daddy are so wise and so smart. Usually the parents know more than the kids, usually, right? But at the end of the day, it's not because I'm so wise and so smart. It's because there's a living God who has told them. And part of that is, is realizing that I'm beholding to the living God as well. I mean, our children should see us repent, and at times they need to see us repent and confess our sin to them. You discipline and anger, ask your child's forgiveness, Right? Um, and I think those types of things make it clear that we're all under authority. I'm thinking of the centurion who tells Jesus, you don't need to come here. I'm a man under authority. And so you get, we live in a world where God has instituted authorities. So the issue with abortion is it's not as though God has made it so that men and women are unequal there. He's told both of them not to fornicate, right? So, so any sexual activity outside of marriage is in rebellion to his law. God has additionally made it. So, so the man can ignore that. The man can rebel against that command and seemingly, temporally, escape long-term consequences. Certainly not have them to the same degree as the woman, right? But it's not as though God told the man, do whatever you want, but the woman, here's your law. But for the, for the woman, as the one who bears the child, there is an inescapable consequence. And we look at it and say, that's not fair. God claims to be just. There's whole parables to express the point that if by fairness you mean equity, he's demonstrably not fair. The whole parable of the, the vineyard owner who pays his employees varying um, hourly rates. He pays them all the same, but it's not fair, strictly speaking, that the guys who worked one hour get the same pay as the guys who worked a whole day. And they complain, and the whole point is, I'm not doing you anything wrong. So we've, we do need to sort of combat the, the notion of fairness, which means treating everyone identically the same. And, and we don't do that. We shouldn't do that. And we shouldn't uphold that as some, you know, unilateral, everywhere and always ethic. Now, there are some things. I should give everyone as an image bearer the same dignity and respect because they bear God. I mean, there are plenty of things that are unilateral in that sense. But there's 
I mean, even Paul's instructions to, to Timothy on how to deal with the people in the body, he's to treat older women different than younger women, older men different than younger men. There's distinctions, right? Um, so one of the things I try to drill into my kids is that fairness in that sense, and kids are hardwired. I mean, I don't know who teaches them, and that's not fair. Like, you're right. What's, you're saying it like that's some, like, fault. What's, I don't get it. It's not fair that Abner gets to stay up later. Fair enough. What's your point? Like, I mean, that, that's kind of, I'm not, I'm not that blunt with them, but like, maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes I am. But, um, but what of it? What of it? You know, I mean, it's also not fair that Abner does more chores than you. But at the end of the day, if I feel like I need to answer that with some argument as though they've brought up a legitimate challenge and now I legitimately need to answer them, sometimes my kids just need to hear, very observant, now go to bed. <laughs> like, Right? So what of it? Because we are so hardwired with this, that's not fair mentality, that we've confused fairness with justice. And I think the parable of the vineyard over wonderfully demonstrates there can be massive inequity. There can be massive disproportional treatment and no injustice necessarily happening. Now, certainly plenty of times inequity can be injustice, but we assume there's an inequity, there must be injustice. And, and Jesus has at least one clear parable making the point that's not true. You want to add anything to that, Daniel? Yes. <laughs> uh, a different parable, the parable of the talents, uh, implicit in that. He comes and gives ten to, to, to one and two or five and, and one. There's a disparity of distribution. And we tend to think, well, wait, hold on a second. How come he didn't give ten to everyone? Because he's God, and he didn't want to. Well, in the parable, it's not God, it's a master. A master has authority over his slaves. You, as parents, have authority over your children. You give to your children as you see fit. There are some cultures where an inheritance goes entirely to the eldest, nothing to the younger. In, in other societies where there's a distribution that's even, who gets to decide? Who has the right to decide that? Well, God's given that authority to the children. Well, if you, if you do your best to make everything equal in your household, guess what they're going to think is right and think is normal and just? Perfect equality. So don't be ashamed, as Jeremy was saying, don't be ashamed of unfairness. Unfairness. I would go a step further and say, highlight the fact that we're not all the same. You think of your children, some of them just think in a, like a subject, math. You pick math. All your kids exactly the same in their math skills? Who decided that? Right? They were born that way. So don't be ashamed of that and encourage them in that because the positive side in the, in the church is spiritual gifts. Who, who did God give gifts to? Who chose who got which gifts? As God distributed to each according to his will. So God gives according to his will what the gifts are, and that's not something to be ashamed of. That's something to embrace and, and rejoice in. Some, there are some gifts that you have that I am glad I don't have and that I could never, I, I, I couldn't approach. And then there's gifts that we have as, as shepherds that you guys think, oh, wow, what a gift. Uh, and we think, well, that's normal, isn't it? Uh, no, no, it's not. But then there's other things that you guys do that are far, uh, far greater than anything we could do. So in the body, 
a hand, you think the hand is the best part of the body, right? Until your foot is taken out of commission. And you think, oh, I wish I had a working foot because it's really hard to travel on your hands. Until you have a toothache, and then... And then it's your tooth. Man, I wish that I didn't have a tooth, because <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> uh, seen anyone like that lately, Jake? Yeah. So, h- highlight the... F- this is part of God's beauty, God's creation. You look around creation, and this is true all over the place. You look in the solar system. Did God make all the planets the same size? Did he put all the planets at the center of the solar system? Why did he make the sun the biggest entity or being or what do you say object in the solar system because he wanted to and why did he choose to make every single planet different why did he make every planet a little distinct a different distance away yes for the signs and seasons and times as we're told in genesis but also because that's his beauty that's his glory are all the angels the same no way they aren't all these angels are different, and so you, we think, oh, I saw an angel, and the angel looked like a man, so all angel look like, angels look like men. And then you read another passage, and you're like, that's not a man. He's got wings all over the place and eyes, and why is God doing that? He loves diversity, and there's not equality if there is diversity. So embrace that, uh, highlight that in your children's lives, point that out in creation because it's all over the place, and we don't need to be ashamed of that. Nobody can live in the reality of pure equality because it's not real. Uh, it would be very painful to try to live that way. So. And let me let me add one more thing to that. If we're to do all things to the glory of God, whether we eat or drink, then we've got to do everything with awareness of God is sovereign overall. And so, part of what we want to teach our kids and ourselves, as well as everything we do, at no point am I acting as an autonomous free agent. I'm bought with a price. I'm made and I'm bought. I'm someone else's slave. And so all of my actions are under that obligation. All of them. And so it's not as though here's in this one spot, I normally get to do what I want and I'm free, but then God says in this one area, well, actually, no, I want you to do this. Rightly thinking as a Christian, everything I do, if I'm not doing it consciously that way, how can I do it to the glory of God? If I'm just being nice to other people because that's the sort of chap I am, I'm not being nice to other people for the glory of God. Right? If I don't see that as its end, doing it just because that's what Jeremy does, and people generally are nice to me, and I like a nice smooth day. And so seeing that also will help make that clear, because if in every area of life I'm to consider what God wants and what God says, then it's not suddenly some new thing when, oh, here's what God wants you to do and how he wants you to act in regards to your pregnancy. Um, so so that, that would be the other bit as well. I mean, we, we are so used to, we're in a country founded by a revolt, we get to vote for our leaders. That's great that we get to vote for our leaders. There's plenty of people who don't get to choose their leaders, have any say in it. It's not fair that they have to listen to King Henry or King James or whatever. And God tells his people, honor them, submit to them, pay your taxes to them. You know, I mean, that we're so hardwired today more than ever to... I didn't, you know, no taxation, that representation, no. I mean, then we want to start applying that to God, which is why we get embarrassed about hell. No damnation without representation because, right? I mean, we, we feel really embarrassed about the doctrine of hell because, you know, these people didn't even ask for this and they didn't consent and they didn't even necessarily know. And, like, he's God. Potters don't ask pots permission to do things. And, and that's helping us and our children grasp that with the living God who is. And you add on top of that, we're not in hell. 
So everything we're doing outside of hell is grace. I mean, this is back to R.C. Sproul's point. You don't want justice. Justice is hell now. You want grace. You know, and so when we're walking around, that's not, I got rights. The only right you and I have is to go to hell now. Anything that's not that is grace. And, and so that's the other piece to fit in is, is you, you don't want justice. You don't want justice. Justice is done on the cross, and justice is done in hell. That's about it for where justice is done um, as regards humans. So, okay. Other questions? Oh, Kathy Hardy. Um, going back to the <clears throat> that's not fair argument and all of this that Daniel and Jeremy said is really good for our thinking. But I think with kids, it's not so much that's not fair. It's really manipulation to get what they want. And so I think one of the things we can teach our kids and work with them in a loving way is to help them to understand what trying to control. Because that's the hardest thing about being a parent is, and they kids are really masters at, you know, pushing the buttons to manipulate. Yes. And so... I think it's really important for us to work with them and help them understand that, you know, we can't always have what we want, but let you shift their thinking to this is what is good. And then, you know, they begin to think about other people more than themselves. And and it starts really early. You start that when they're just really little. Um, But yes, but our thinking needs to be just like you guys are saying, because um, we think, well, we, we have to treat everybody equally. And, you know, I think the end result, we're all going to be like Christ. That's what we all want. But the path to get there for everybody is a little bit different. Well, and even, even in eternity, there's not equality. There's differing levels of reward that will endure forever. So in one sense, we're all made, we're all conformed to the image of Christ. We're all fully reconciled with God. God's not more reconciled with some people than others. But Jesus talks about people who rule ten cities with him and different levels of reward in Christ. So like even in, even in eternity, ten billion trillion years in the future, there's inequity between the saints. Um, so we've got to get this notion out of our head that just because we've seen... Now, an inequity can be the result of wickedness and injustice. Certainly it can. And so spotting an inequity may warrant investigation. But we, we live in a world now that assumes inequity, racism, sexism, patriarchy, whatever. You know, you want to fill in the blank. And that, that, that is not, that does not necessarily follow. doesn't necessarily follow at all. Um, and so, yeah, we got we to watch out for that. And, and especially as people use it as a weapon. That's not fair, you know. And, and I, I will say the other side. You could provoke your children by consistently showing favoritism and preference to one child for no particular reason. You always wanted the boy, you always wanted the girl, and so you just dote on them. I, I do believe that could qualify under provoking your children to wrath. But um, I, I think in our culture, we're far more likely to be slaves to... I mean, I, like, it's, I, I know of scenarios where people buying presents for their family members literally like, will want to make sure everything is... That's in, everything down to the penny is equal. That just seems like a heavy law and burden. Like, that seems like a difficult way to live. Um, I mean, if that's what you want to do, it's your money, go for it. But I, that seems like a heavy burden to me. Um, so, anyway, but that's, that's how much this can be foisted on as a moral good to us. So, okay, next question. Oh, 
well, I kind of have a thought and a question. Yeah. I'm just always blown away how God addresses everything in the Bible. I mean, he truly is a lamp to our feet. Um, but I think about when Glenn and I have had conversations with our friends that are not Christians yeah. about abortion, and everything you said just is so awesome and so true. But if you're not a Christian, it's like, yeah, I don't believe the Bible. So what? So all I can think about is you still say those same things and hopefully a seed is planted or, I mean, you know. Well, the other other thing you can do, and this didn't make it into the message. So God's wisdom is wise and he makes the wisdom of the wise foolishness. So whatever disagrees with God is ultimately foolish. And if you're able to, if you're able to push, probe, and ask some questions, you can help demonstrate some of the folly. Because what, what, the, uh, what the unbeliever is forced to say with this gradual movement of personhood is really untenable. Um, and, and if you zoom in on that, like, so we slowly gain human rights, and we could eke out of human rights. And if you're more sentient than me, are you more valuable as a person than me? If you're more capable of uh, expressing personhood than me, are you, do you have more human rights than me? Will I have less human rights when I get really old? Asking questions like that and helping them to see the folly of their wisdom, the folly of their perspective can be helpful. I think there can be some value in that. I mean, it really is. There's no particular... I mean, Singer, I only quoted Singer's more constrained quotes. He's now advocating potentially up to three years old. Uh, in the, now, he's usually meaning only in the cases of severe birth defects or, or health issues that only show up in the first three years. He's not suggesting a normal three-year-old. I, mean, I don't want to misrepresent him. But he's saying that because some of these lifelong issues of, of quality of life issues don't even show up till two or three, and because till two or three we're still not sure that they're evidencing abstract thinking, yeah, and in some cases, and Singer wouldn't say in many, but in some cases, it might be wholly appropriate to, to euthanize a three-year-old. I mean, but because you've got this spectrum, it, why, not move, why does the spectrum move around? Yeah, you can move it forward, you can move it back. So legally, they've set it on birth, but they recognize that's arbitrary. I mean, it's really hard to consistently argue two minutes before conception, two minutes before birth, no rights. Um, two minutes after birth, Full-on human rights. So that was just some pretty significant four minutes there. And, and the unbelieving mind recognizes that dissonance and the difficulty of that. And so you can press on some of that stuff and, and just say, look, you, you've separated human rights from just being human. It's not enough to be human. You're, you've, you've now created a human non-person category. And maybe even gently, you know, that's what we did with slavery, you know, it's what the Nazis did. Before the Nazis went after the Jews, they went after the disabled, um, the handicapped. And, you know, this is, this is the basis of Planned Parenthood, more from the fit, less from the unfit. Same, same type of thinking. And just maybe help them see the bad and poisonous fruit it has borne everywhere that it's been used. But, yeah, short of taking political control, there's not much else you can do than try to persuade your neighbor, right? I mean... Um, and and God, God, I hope that God raises up righteous judges and people to make righteous laws. But in the meantime, there is not much more you can do than try to persuade your unbelieving neighbor. Those are good ideas. One of the comments that they said to us is, well, we've been around a lot of abused children, so it's better that they're killed before the mother abuses them. And I'm like, I got nothing for that. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I'm just like, that's so far out there. So. Right. 
you know. Anyway. Uh, no, but and, and what I might do if I had 20 minutes with someone is to, to stop and say, do you really mean that? And who would you suggest makes those judgment calls? What death panel decides this is a life not worth living? I mean, you can't, I mean, you know, because people will say stuff like that. I just, do you, do you really, have you really thought through that? Do you really mean that? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you do. I, I hope like, you that's don't. Good. No, I mean, but just like that's, t- like, play that out for me. Mm-hmm. What are you proposing? You know, um, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Um, Greg. I've often thought this must be a tool in a situation where Satan is heavily involved uh, because logic is oftentimes totally lacking. I, I agree with you that you should try to persuade uh, with, with uh, God's word, with, with just relevant facts. Uh, but in my own experience in talking to people, it's oftentimes... Uh, like the the uh, facts don't matter. Right. The uh, there is no logic. You know the, the whole notion that a woman has a right to, to just un, uh, unilaterally decide anything. It's like well, a woman should never be uh, persuaded to do something against her will. Well, we got all kinds of laws. Uh, you know what do you call those? This is just another one. But it's always struck me as perhaps this killing of unborn children or children, and, and it will be children. It's already more than unborn in some states. Yeah. If you try to uh, abort a baby in New York, for instance, that baby is born alive in spite of your efforts, you can still kill it. Yeah. And that's lawful yeah. there. So I'm just saying. <clears throat> and Vir- isn't the governor, governor of Virginia, more, most recently? Yes, North- to, the, the the baby would be kept comfortable, comfortable and warm yeah. while a conversation would happen with the doctor and the exactly. Parents. Yeah, but it just seems to me that this must be something most abhorrent to God, and mm. Satan has jumped on it uh, to help people not understand, to not hear, to not be able to use their own faculties because it doesn't make any sense when you talk to them and you get them to agree that, well, yeah, I guess it is a baby. And then they'll end the conversation with, yeah, but I think a woman has a right to choose. And you just think, what? How could you conclude that? What sort of mental logic are you going through to come up with that decision? Well, there's, at the end of the day, sin is insane. I mean, what I mean by the sin being insane is if you were to have a chance to interview Eve and Adam moments for the fruit, what's your plan here? We're to defy God. How does he think it's going to work out? I mean, you see what they come up with? Get some leaves. I mean, it's not rational. It's not like they've waded up, we think we got a fighting shot here. It's fundamentally about the fall and sin. So this is where First John, sin is lawlessness. Sin is self-rule. I will do what I jolly well please. End of story. And if I have to fight God to do it, I will. And so I'm not surprised if I have to say stupid things about babies, I will. I mean, so the most you can hope them to do is maybe God might, in seeing the foolishness of their, of their thinking, exposing it, shedding light on it. And Paul talks about it in Ephesians. 
Do not participate in the fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. But that's about the most you can do. But no, don't be surprised if at the end of the day, I got nothing to say, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. Okay. But at least now we've identified the point is this really is at root, like all sin, rebellion and lawlessness. This isn't, we want to be sophisticated sinners. We want to have really plausible arguments for why we do what we do. And so sometimes maybe the most you can do is this, this is irrational. This is raw will and exercise of power and authority. I will do what I want with my body, period, end of story, good day. Okay. I mean, and that might be the most you can do is just, okay, so at least now we all know that. But, but, but all sin will ultimately press to that. You know what I mean? Somebody's destroying their marriage with, with adultery, you know, and you try to point out to them what's going on. And there's not going to be, at, at root for no sin is there going to be a really good answer. But no, you're totally right. Um, we, oh, Joanna, and then I want to, I'm sure Daniel's got thoughts on a number of these questions, and I asked him to come up here, so I don't want to just do all the talking. Um, it reminds us of our staff meetings. Um, <laughs> Jeremy, I have a question. Oh! Back here, sorry. Oh, Marion, yes. Um, so I'm a little boggled by the whole personhood thought process, because yeah. then you still run down the same argument as life, like when does life begin? So when does a person become a per, yeah. you know, their personhood? Because... You know, if it's all of the thought process, a baby will cry when they're hungry, when they need to be changed, or just when they want to be picked up. I mean, so how do you determine, or excuse me, how do they determine, and then at what point then are they going to determine when someone is no, like when they become a certain age or whatever, that they've lost some of their personhood, and then who quote-unquote gets to be that God that makes that decision? Right now, for the aged, it's going to be clinical psychologists. Um, this argument is that they've put to death or allowed to die or allowed to starve and dehydrate uh, people who are handicapped already. And it's usually based on the testimony of the attending physicians and, and psychologists and their evaluations. Um, this is one of the weaknesses. It sounds like science, but it's not objective. And no, they don't even have agreed upon values of what constitutes personhood. Um, I think I read some of them last week, but I collected about eight different competing definitions that are fundamentally opposed. So one of them is performance-based, but then the, the next one that I came up with was pushing back against it because it shouldn't be performance-based. It should be... and So there isn't even a consensus. But at the end of the day, we really want to do this, and so we need to come up with a reason to do it. And the line, they're not people, is if you don't examine it and prod it and, and unpack it, for many people, it's going to assuage their conscience. Most people don't want to harden their heart to the part where they know what they're doing. Most of us, when we sin, tell ourselves lies to make what we do less evil in our own sight. Very few people are willing to, yes, there's a God, and I'm warring with him. Most people want to tell themselves nicer lies than that. And so we, the unbelieving mind intrinsically wants to believe the lie about personhood. It's a, it, they want it to be true, right? Just like the addict wants to believe they can stop anytime they want, right? Just like the, the, the person who's cheating on their spouse wants to believe love justifies it all. I mean, these are all foolish claims, but if you want to believe it, the ability for self-deception is huge. So, you're, But that's the type of place to push. It, it, it is entirely arbitrary, it's, it's entirely why these factors, not these factors. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't um, 
the emperor has no clothes. But a lot of people want to believe it, and when chairs of Princeton department say it, people go, oh, well, the guys in the white lab coat said it, so it must be true. And I want it to be true, so there you go. Um, Joanna. So on your last point, is this loud enough? On your last point, I think it would be easy as someone without children <laughs> to say, okay, parents, it's your job to make your children seem like blessings. I'm not really a part of that. I don't know how I can be a part of that. But I think it's really important to also speak to we as a body, because we really are a family, mm -hmm. um, and families are in charge of and, and should help encourage um, and be a part of raising children to be blessings. Right. So can you speak to that, please? You, you just added my third point of application that I took out because I didn't think I'd have enough room. So. But Daniel's got his Bible open. Hold on. I'll be very quick on that. Yes. Jesus says in the church, you're going to find mothers. Anyone who loses a mother, father, husband, wife, are going to find them in the church. So in the church, you get to be mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And one of the ways we can help, just because children are a blessing doesn't mean every aspect of pregnancy and birth is a blessing. You know, and, and if you've got three kids under three running around, uh, you're, you're going to have your hands full. You're going to need help. And one of the ways, again, we can be pro-life is to help with that. I mean, another is when, when someone considers the prospect, when an unwed mother with two children already considers the prospect of a third, she is looking at some negative things. It's not simply to say, no, it's a blessing. No, the, the caring for them and the day in and day out is going to be a difficult thing. Okay, but we can help with that. We can help make that less fearful. And we can help in the body with that as well. But I mean, I'm going to give my remaining, I cede my remaining 10 minutes oh, to, no, to no, Daniel no. here. Oh, oh no. no? You're good? Yes. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. We got some, some, oh, in the back. Who was that in the back? Kingery. Okay. Uh-oh. I, uh, I spent a lot of time with a person that had two abortions, and I, I, I kind of saw the kind of misery that she went through after the fact. She, she told me that uh, she got pregnant when she was in her teenage years, mm -hmm. And this is back when abortion was illegal, and she she had one abortion, and then she had a got pregnant again, and and uh, had another one, and all throughout the she she had this thing going on in her mind that I'm what it, am I really is this really a human being? And so she asked to see the product after it was killed. And uh, she said uh, they didn't want to show it to her, but they held it out to her, and, and it fit in the palm of the person's hand, and she could see that it was a little boy that she right. had uh, helped to kill an accomplice in the murder of her own son, and it bothered her for years. And, and uh, Mom said that I could tell anybody that I wanted to about her two abortions, and I, and, yeah, uh, I, I, no, I think I think partly that's why Satan is in pushing this. The guilt, the the wrecking. I mean, that the, the pretty uniform testimony of people that have had this is not liberation and freedom, but guilt, sorrow, oppression, um, and uh, it, it, it's a terrible, terrible lie that is preying upon women. Because what women are being told is. 
the only way for you to actually be fulfilled, valuable, and have a meaningful life is to sideline, minimize, or erase everything that makes you distinctively woman and basically become men. Yeah. And only then, and only when we've sidelined, erased, minimized what makes you distinctively women, can you then have a meaningful and full life. They believe that. They act on that. And then because they bear the image of God and they have a conscience, they can't live with that in most cases. And yeah. so it's, it's awful. It was terrible for her. Yeah. And she, she uh, that was, sometime later, she really learned about the grace of God and how he could forgive such an awful thing that she had done. And uh, um, it was really something. I talked with uh, another lady, Carol Everett. I don't know if anybody knows her, but she used to run several abortion chamber. Dave, let's keep this PC. Not PC. Let's keep this. We have high school and junior hires here. Let's oh, keep this. I'm uh, sorry. I didn't hear what little, you Let's sanitize the discussion oh, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, please. I'll do that. But her, she, she told me that the reason she kept trying to get people to commit abortions was to make her abortion feel more legitimate okay. until she finally realized that she was really killing a bunch of people. And, mm. and uh, this woman committed her life to Jesus Christ, too, Praise and God. was forgiven for her many. And I really appreciate her ministry. She did a lot of things to undo, try to undo what she had done. Mm. But that guilt is an awful thing. You try to overcome it either by convincing other women to do what you did or or you just waste away and yeah. guilt. And I'm going to move on just because we got more hands, Dave. Okay. We can talk more. Yes. Am I here? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I guess I was just curious what your thoughts on, like, contraception were because that has to do with the whole, like, abortion thing and some people then want to use contraception so that they don't have to go to the abortion, yeah. but, like... Well, con contraceptive is, is fundamentally different because you're not dealing with a human life. Um, they're, they're, not to say contraception isn't a complicated ethical question. It is. But it's of a different sort. Um, and so for the time and where we're at, I'm just going to punt and say they're unrelated. Once you've got a fertilized egg, you've got something fundamentally different than when you've got seed and an egg independently. Um, and so... We have five minutes. We have a lot more questions. We can talk afterwards. I, I'm punting. Oh, you were going to ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was just going to say that when Daniel and I were newlyweds, we went to a marriage conference, and we were pretty you know, eager to hear the speaker. It was John MacArthur. He got up and it, the topic of the weekend was marriage. And he got up there and he said, you know, really what y'all need to hear is just the gospel. And uh, I was, I won't lie. I was like, well, I know the gospel. Um, and there was a little bit of a disappointment. Like he's you know, just going to talk about the gospel. <laughs> but I know that sounds funny, but you know what I mean? Yeah. We were kind of looking for point by point application, like how to have a great marriage and how to honor the Lord and everything. But his point was, which I think is totally applicable to um, like Wanda's question about how to talk with unbelievers about it is without that foundation. I mean, as Christians, we tend to get lit up about abortion. Do we get as lit up about the fact that there are unsaved people around us everywhere? And you know, if you have that foundation of 
let's get the gospel to these people, and then we've got some ground to go from. I'm not saying to not be concerned about abortion, obviously, but um, I do think a lot about that and personally am convicted of just the lack of motivation to just go and reach out to these souls around me who don't know the Lord and who aren't going to have, you're not going to have a leg to stand on with them if you start preaching the gospel or the Bible and they don't want to hear it, they don't care because they don't have any connection to it. I, I don't know if I'm making sense, but I sometimes think we have to go to that first right. to, to make... Um, to make some, I mean, God can do what he's going to do with his word whenever he wants. And so, of course, if you're preaching the gospel to someone who doesn't want to hear it, well, he can still use that. But my point is to not just dismiss and assume that we can just go right to the points about, no, you've got to you know, treasure this life that God's given when we're not giving much regard to the life he already gave in this person who isn't saved yet. So anyway, just food for thought, something I think about, and just how after that marriage uh, conference we went to, it was awesome. It was like, this is so true. Like, I can't love my husband um, in the way I ought to if I don't have these foundational things really hard-pressed and and nailed down in my life. So I think the similar thing applies with um, abortion stuff. Yeah, the the gospel is ultimately going to be the solution. because there's a certain truth to the fact that even if we outlaw a practice, rebellious people are going to find ways around to do what they want. The real ultimate solution has got to be the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, which isn't to say good isn't done through legal laws, but that isn't our final hope. Our final hope is the conversion of the lost. Um, okay, we've got time for one more question because we started late because I went late, so we're just sort of kicking the can down the road a few more minutes. Okay, Allison. Then I'll give Daniel a closing, any closing comments. you have any wisdom that you have, we'll, we'll bring it home. You sort of touched on this with your last point, but could you explain the connection between being pro-life and caring for the orphan and how that applies to the church? The, the connection I was trying to make is there's an entire system of values that leads the world to, to think, in many cases, it's a wise and good thing to kill their children. And it's great that we disagree on that final step. You, you can't go there. But the, the, the root that bears that bitter fruit, I think it's possible for us to fully imbibe and believe many of those things. We need to check ourselves because what the culture is saying is you're, we live in the wealthiest country of the wealthiest time in human history, and yet everyone's talking about how many kids they can afford and so I'm guessing some of our values are off. That's what I'm proposing. Our values of freedom. I mean, you're right. It's really difficult for my wife and I to go on a date. It's a big deal. We plan it like once a quarter. <laughs> no, and that's an opportunity cost. But if you value your mobility, your ability to go and come and go as you please, you value your ability to go on vacation, then if those things are raised to too high of a value, and none of those things is bad, none of those things are bad, but if you elevate the value of those things, the, the quality of your lifestyle, the home you live in, then you aren't, the, as you disproportionately raise those things, the things that get in their way are going to be viewed as obstacles. And so part of what we need to do is adopt a biblical value system. Um, and so that the world gets from us an entirely different value system rather than, now, wait a second, you clearly prize all the things we prize. You worship all the things we worship. You, you arrange and organize your life all the way we do. The only difference is we take it to the logical step and you don't. I'd rather think it would be right for us to have an entire, like you guys value different things. 
you hold different things dear than we do um, and, and give them a, a different worldview to look into. That, that's what I was trying to get at, is that connection of thought. I'm going to give the last exhortation to Daniel over here, if you have any exhortation for us, sir. Oh, you're, <clears throat> you're not going to give me an exhortation? <clears throat> I thought you were going to exhort me. I exhort you to exhort us. Okay. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There There are demons behind these sins, no question. Um, and we can't win that battle in the flesh. We have to have God's word. And what we're doing is we're attacking the, the lies that Satan is telling. Um, and we're doing it out of love. This is one of the things I'll get to next week is that at the end of the day, this isn't an argument because I want to be right. At the end of the day, this is an argument because I want you to be blessed. If, if you win this argument and you have the abortion, I'm not the one who's going to suffer. It's going to be you, and because I care about you, I want to persuade you, not because I want to be right, but because I don't want your soul to be damaged in this way. I don't want you to suffer with the consequences, and then at the end of the day, it's not, a, it's not an argument in that sense. It's me trying to persuade you because I care about you, and I don't want you to do this thing that I know you're going to regret. Should I close this in prayer? Close this in prayer. Lord, every one of us has different uh, relationships to those who have had abortions, those who are considering, and I pray that you would help us in the ways that we interact with them to show them the love of Christ, to show them that this sin is, um, though grievous, is not unforgivable, as Jeremy said. This is exactly what Christ came to save us from. These are the the sorts of, of sins that you can wash us from and cleanse us from. I pray that we would appeal to those that we know and, and persuade them, not with words of, of human wisdom, but words of your divine truth, pointing out your creation and your position as creator and appealing to them that you will forgive. I pray that you would give to us a, a loving spirit that in the midst of these discussions, it, we would not be... Um, argumentative, that we would not be contentious, but that we would be uh, loving and also quite firm in the truth that you have made evident uh, throughout your creation and through your word. Give us the strength to do that, and we pray that you would give us also the wisdom to know how to, to answer and to, to speak to, to those dealing with this so that your name would be glorified among us and that you would, would bring in a harvest of, of those who might be Um, saved by Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.